0: Good morning, Abundant Life, and Dave, don't go too far. You left your phone up here. I know you're going to want it. Yeah, it's right here. Why did I leave my phone up there? It was sitting here on the chair. That's ridiculous. Yeah, and I don't want to be taking all your phone calls. You don't. I got... All my fantasy football players going off at 10. I'd right? <laughs> be totally wrong. Okay. Hey, you, you, listen, if you're new around here, you've probably figured out we're pretty casual. We don't, just take, we don't take ourselves really too seriously around here. We take God seriously, but we don't take ourselves all that seriously. So that's a good thing. Okay, that's a good thing. Turn to somebody and say, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Listen, we're we're wrapping up the the year, and uh, as you know, we have our Care, Reach, Grow offering coming up, and we've got the biggest goal we've ever had, $250,000. And that's a lot of money. Somebody turn to somebody and say, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. The, the, the most we've ever raised is 175000 And I, I believe we're going to meet this goal. And I know God has some great things in store. And he will do that through all of us as we give together. As you know, we're planting another church in Ecuador. We're helping Doug and his team in, in Italy to, to purchase the building. That's just that's a miracle in itself. We're moving into a permanent facility up at a Vancouver campus. And then we have all of our benevolent ministries right here in our own church family. All of these are the things that we're giving to as we close out the year. So I know lots of people are asking you for money as we come to the close of a year. And so let me just encourage you to remember your church. And uh, I think personally that what we're giving to is the most important. Okay, and so just, just that's all I'm going to say about that, okay, because I've got so much that I've got to cover today. We are concluding this series that we started, uh, gosh, seven or eight weeks ago now, called The Grave Robber, and we've been looking at the miracles of Jesus through the gospel of John, and I have just loved this series. I hope that you've enjoyed it, and I hope that you've gotten something out of it. As, as I thought about bringing this now to a close, I wanted to remind you of some of the lessons that we've been learning along the way. They're just too valuable to to miss. And so I want to take one more time. Here's the first lesson. Don't seek miracles, follow Jesus. Okay. Don't seek miracles, follow Jesus. When, when you look at the issue of miracles in the Bible, they're actually referred to as signs. And what's a sign do? A sign points you to something. Miracles are designed to point you to Jesus. And if you follow Jesus long enough, You'll find yourself in the middle of some miracles. And so, so don't, don't seek Jesus. I mean, don't seek miracles. Follow Jesus. Here's this, another lesson. Every miracle begins with a problem. Every miracle begins with a problem. I, I know a lot of people want miracles in their life. They just don't want to be in the situation that necessitates a miracle. So how many of you have a problem right now? Raise your hand. Okay. And how many of you are sitting next to that problem right now? Okay. <laughs> And so the bigger your problem, the greater your potential miracle, okay? And, and so just know that, that, that a problem, it's the, it's the common thread that runs through all the miracles. And, and so just, just know that. Here's another lesson. Sometimes you have to do the natural before God will do the supernatural. Sometimes you have to do the natural before God will do the supernatural. And again, you'll find that all the way through the Bible. But many times what God wants to do for you, he will do through you. And he invites us to participate in that. So that's a very important lesson. Here's an, another lesson. There are a couple of hurdles that some of you may have to clear in order for you to begin believing in miracles again. One of those is skepticism. And what skepticism is, is basically it's you, you have a predisposition to toward an, a disbelief because of something that's happened in the past, uh, maybe uh, the way you were raised, maybe an event or your upbringing or something. But this is a predisposition toward disbelief, and, and so you're having difficulty believing. And and so, I encourage you to to really try to work through that 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 uh, that skepticism. The other is disappointment. And some of you have have. Prayed to God to give something to you, to take something from you, to do something in your life, and He didn't answer it the way you had prayed or hoped He would have answered it. And so, to say you were disappointed would be an understatement. And, and maybe you are even thinking, "I don't. I'm not even sure God heard my prayer, much less didn't answer it." And so, you're disappointed in God, and so you think He just doesn't do that anymore. Just understand that God sees so much more than you see, and he, he is so far above us. And, and when he chooses not to answer according to our desires, just understand that, that God's bigger than we are, sees more than we see, he's farther out than, than we ever could be. And, and so don't, don't let disappointment cause you to, to stop believing in miracles. Here's another lesson. It's, God is great not just because nothing is too big for him. God is great because nothing is too small for him. Sometimes when we think of miracles, we think it's just the really, really big things that, that, that are miracle material. Sometimes it's the small things. And God's concerned about the small things in your life. And actually, that lesson, I believe, comes out in the first message. The first message in the series, the first miracle that we looked at was Jesus turning water into wine. And I think that that first miracle is a great one because what it teaches us is that God shows up when we run out. And so what have you run out of? In your life. God shows up when we run out. Another lesson that we learned from that miracle is that God is in the business of transforming. And if God can transform water into wine, imagine what he could do in your life. And so that was the first one we looked at. The second one we looked at was the healing of the royal official son. It was that long distance miracle. And it's in that miracle that we learned that God is not limited by what limits you and me. God is not limited by time, and God is not limited by space. He transcends all of that, and so he's not limited by the things that limit us. So therefore, you can ask him for virtually anything, because nothing limits him. The third miracle we looked at is the healing of the man who had been an invalid for 38 years. And it was in this miracle that we ask a lot of questions. And one of the questions that came out of that is the very question that Jesus asked the invalid man. And the question was this. Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? Because sometimes we can grow so comfortable with the condition in which we find ourselves that we really don't want to be healed. We, we, we choose the, the discomfort over the situation as opposed to the, the unknown of something new. And, and so, do you really want to be healed? A tough question, and we looked at a lot of difficult questions in that series in that in that message. The fourth one was the feeding of the 5,000, one of the most popular miracles that Jesus performed. And, and as you know, and as we taught, probably more like 10, 15, maybe even 20,000 people with just a small amount of food. And one of the great lessons that comes out of that is that if you and I will give the very little that we have, to God, then he can multiply it. Don't let what you cannot do keep you from doing what you can do. If, if you, you'll say, I don't have much to give. That doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You see, God can take your little and he can multiply it. He can do great things with it. But, but if you hold on to it and, and you keep your hands closed and you keep what you've got, then you make it impossible for God to bless you with more. You have to give what you've got and now you've got open hands and he can bless you with more. The fifth one we looked at was Jesus and Peter walking on the water. Again, a very popular miracle where both of these people walked on the water. And I love this because because when you choose to obey Jesus, many times he will take you into uncertain places. He'll take you into scary places. He'll take you into difficult places. He'll take you into places where you've never been before if you really choose to follow Jesus. But those are great places to go because it's then that you are moved and you're pushed out of your comfort zone. And that's when you begin to experience new levels of faith. That's when you begin to experience new breakthroughs in your journey with Christ. Because if you ever want to walk on the water, what do you have to do? You've got to get out of the boat. And and so if you're going to experience breakthroughs in your faith, you may have to go some places that you've never been before. And I think that's a great lesson among many that come out of that miracle. The, the miracle we looked at last week, Pastor Doug. And by the way, didn't he do a fantastic job? Wasn't it a great message as he talked to us about the blind man uh, who was blind from birth? What I love about this miracle is that this guy had never seen in his entire life. Had never seen. And it's in this miracle that Jesus revealed a new dimension about himself where he says, I am the light The world. What I find really cool about that is that Jesus chose a person who had never ever seen to be his eyewitness. Isn't that cool? I think that is the coolest thing in all the world. He picks some guy who'd never seen anything. You're going to be my my eyewitness. I think that's just the way Jesus works. It's so fun. When when we get to heaven and we learn all the nuances behind these miracles and and the teachings in the Bible, it's just going to be fantastic. Now, today, we're looking at the raising of Lazarus from the, the dead. The first miracle that we looked at, the turning of water into wine, shows us that Jesus can transform us. What I love about this miracle, Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, shows us not only can Jesus transform you and me, Jesus can also resurrect you and me. And, and that's, that's the, the beauty of this miracle. Now, it's a long passage of scripture, as you see in your, in your notes. So I'm going to read it and then make a couple of comments and then draw some, some life lessons from it. It begins in verse 19, chapter 11. Many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary, she stayed home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. I want you to circle that. I am the resurrection and the life. One of the most powerful statements that Jesus ever made. He goes on to say, the one who believes in me will live even though he dies. Isn't that good to know? You see, if if you want to know what what people who follow Jesus really believe, just attend one of their funerals, okay? You you notice the difference between a funeral of somebody who was a believer and somebody who wasn't a believer. Just total, total difference. And, And this is the difference right here. The one who believes in me is going to live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Jesus asked her, Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and she called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and she went to him. Let's go down to verse 32. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and she saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. It's like they rehearsed this line. They both said the exact same thing. What are we going to say to Jesus? when we go? well, I'm going to say, if you'd been here, he wouldn't have died. Or that's a good thing. I'm going to say the same thing. If you'd been here, he wouldn't have died. And so when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and he was troubled. Let's stop there for a moment. In Jesus' day, when somebody died, the custom was to bury them that very same day. And then it was followed by seven days of deep mourning. It's four days after Lazarus has died. And what's interesting is Jesus, he chooses to come in the very middle of the deep mourning period. You see, many times that's when Jesus will show up into your life, when something happens, when you are in the middle, in the middle of your mourning and and you're at your deepest despair and, and he shows up. And he says, where have you laid him, he asked. Well, come and see, Lord, they replied. And then Jesus wept. This is the shortest verse in the Bible. And so everybody can memorize this verse, okay? Verse, verse 35, John eleven thirty-five. Everybody repeat it for me. Jesus wept. Okay, there, you've memorized the verse. And isn't that great? And, and I love this because sometimes, when, what do you picture when this says Jesus wept? You know, sometimes people picture he got a little tear in his eye, you know, he he maybe pulled out his handkerchief and kind of, you know, wiped his eyes and, and all that. No, that's not what that, that means at all. The Greek tense behind this indicates that it was that Jesus, he lost it. He burst into tears, is what, what that means. That's the force behind this. He burst and he literally lost it. And what I like about this. It's because, again, Jesus came to reveal what God was like. And what this shows me is that God weeps. God cries over us. Jesus wept numerous times, and he weeps over us. It shows that he, he weeps over us. And not only that, but he keeps a record of our tears. Did you know that, that, that God keeps a record of your tears? I got a verse for you, Psalm 56, verse 8, where it says, You keep a record of all of my sorrows." You've collected all of my tears in your bottle. You've recorded each one of them. All of your tears of sorrow, all of your tears of joy, all of your tears of sadness, all of your tears of loss, pain, all those tears, he keeps a record of those. To me, that's just absolutely phenomenal. And and, and so your tears are precious to God. Then it goes on in verse 36. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? I think that Jesus isn't just sad. I think Jesus is mad. I, th- I think Je- there's a anger about Jesus right about now. Because what you have to understand is that death was not a part of God's plan. It was, it was part of the fallout of the fall. And so death had taken, death had stolen Lazarus, his best friend, from him. And so now Jesus, the grave robber, steals him back. Isn't that great? He he, he steals him back because Jesus is saying, Death, you will not have the final victory. And he steals him back, and he's teaching us so much. So much. And so Jesus, once more deeply moved, he came to the tomb and it was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. And he said, Take away the stone. But Lord Martha said, "Uh, By now there's a bad odor, for he's been in there four days. Okay, you know the second law of thermodynamics, right? That anything left to itself is just going to fall apart. That's why cars rust, that's why food rots. That's why bodies grow old and die and then decompose. And so what Jesus is about to do is counteract four days of decomposition. And so she's afraid, don't do this, Lord, because it's going to stink to high heaven if you roll that stone back. And, and, and that's what she's thinking And then Jesus says, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe That you sent me. You see, Jesus is doing all of this because there's a very, very important lesson that he's teaching here. And when he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and his feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Now, what picture do you get of Lazarus right about now? Okay, you get a picture of a mummy. Most of you are picturing a mummy, okay? And, and what you have to understand is that when they would have buried somebody, what they would have done is they would have wrapped uh, Lazarus' ankles, his feet around by his ankles with linen cloth, And then they would have put his arms down beside him like this and wrapped his arms close to his body. And not just a few times, but many, many times. And they put spices and all this stuff in the wrapping that would have equaled somewhere around 100 pounds. 100 pounds. And so I don't know what you picture, you know, what that would look like. How many of you, when when you were growing up, you'd have to be about my age, remember shock theater, you did good, because nobody in the first service remembered. I know I was kind of, I was a bad kid, and, um, and I, sn- I would sneak on Saturday afternoons watching Shock Theater, because where a house was built, there was a den on the opposite end of the house, and so I could go back and turn on the TV, and nobody could hear. I'd watch Shock Theater. If you don't if you, if you remember Shock Theater, there was Frankenstein, there was the Wolfman, and there was Dracula, and there was the mummy. The mummy's the one that scared the bejeebies out of me. And the reason is because this is what the mummy looked like right here. And so, you know, he'd come out. And I, would, I was a little kid. I'd, I'd, hide, I'd get on the couch and I'd hide and all this stuff. And so whenever I think of Lazarus, that's kind of the picture I get. But it's really not like that. Because remember, he's like this. And so when Jesus says, Lazarus, come out, he's still wrapped. How's he walking? He's not. He's... That's the way he's coming out. And I'm sure he probably, you know, fell over at some point. And I can just picture people back on the, on the edge of the crowd. They've been crying, but something is probably <laughs> Yeah. You know, laughing at this. this. is kind of funny. And then, so then Jesus, he, he, just, he just says, listen, take off the grave clothes and let him go. And so that's the scene. <sighs> okay, i got to get my breath <laughs> from jumping. Okay, here we go. We've got a lot to cover and no time to do it. Okay, now, probably the question some people are asking about this story is, well, does Jesus still raise people from the dead today. And I don't want you to focus on that because if you, if, you, if you make that the point of the story, you've missed the point of the story. If you Googled, does Jesus raise people from the dead? You'd come across hundreds of articles and videos that people have posted of people being raised from the dead Is it true? I don't know. I I believe that that God can. I've never seen a dead person raised to life, Uh, but just because I haven't seen it doesn't mean it doesn't happen and that God can't do it. I think he can. I think it's like healing it's the exception, not the norm, not the rule. And so let's just say, when it comes to raising people from the dead, it's the exception, it's not the rule. He can, he's the same yesterday, today and forever. Uh, In the Bible, other than Jesus, there are nine recorded uh, references to people being raised from the dead. The last one, just as a little side note, the last one is in Acts chapter 20. And the guy's name was Eutychus. And he was sitting in the third story window. And Peter was, it was either Peter or Paul, I can't remember who, who it was, was preaching. I think it was Paul. And, and he was preaching. And he went long. And Eutychus fell asleep. That's the story. Go read it in Acts chapter 20. And he fell out of the window. <laughs> Isn't that great? I love that The story is great. He falls and dies. He, and he dies. And so, Jesus, and so it's Paul or whoever brought him back to life. And, and so some of you are thinking, well, wow, that's really cool. And if you want to really impress somebody with your Bible knowledge, you know, with Bible trivia, go up to somebody and say, who do you think the last person was that was raised to life in the Bible other than Jesus? And you say Eutychus. And you want to know how you remember that? You'd have cussed, too, if you'd fallen out of the window. So there you go. That's all some of you are going to get out of this message today. Some of you are writing that down. You'd have, have cussed, too, if, if Paul had gone. If I go along, you'd have cussed, too. And so that's just a little trivia. Okay, so now let's get beyond that, and let's get to the life lessons because we really don't have much time, and I've got to go really fast. There's three lessons that I pull out of this story. There's so many. There's so many that I could could bring out of here, but I'm going to give you three really quick. Here's the first one. Sometimes I blame God, okay? If I'm honest with myself, sometimes I blame God. When you read that story, Martha said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Mary comes along, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. That almost feels like a little passive-aggressive behavior going on there. They're kind of like blaming God, and they're not blaming God. They're they're kind of like blaming him, and they're not. If you'd been here, he wouldn't have died. Have any of you ever been there? Lord, if if you had been here, I wouldn't have been fired from that church. Lord, if you had been here, my wife would not have miscarried two times. Lord, if you'd been here, she wouldn't have died. Lord, if you'd been here, he wouldn't have walked out. If you'd been here, that wouldn't have happened. And, and we, we can get in this thing of where we, we want to blame God because he didn't show up. And so just like Mary and just like Martha, we, we don't blame him for the bad things that happen. But on the other hand, we know he could have stopped it from happening. And so we ask the question, why? Why? Why didn't Jesus teleport himself to Bethany and heal Lazarus? Because he could have, in in the split second, we know he could have done that. But he didn't do it. It's interesting, when you come, if you look at the story, a part of the story I didn't read for you, in John chapter 11, verse 6, it's actually, to me, it's kind of humorous. When... When Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. I mean, come on, Jesus, what is up with that? I thought he was your best friend. I mean, if you got word that your best friend is almost dead and you have the ability to heal him, don't you drop everything you're doing and rush to get there? Don't you make it priority number one? But what Jesus does is say, ah, Lazarus is dead. He's almost, he almost dead, ah. I think I'll hang on here two more days, have a cup of coffee and take it easy. It just, it doesn't make sense. Verse 14, Jesus says to his disciples, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there. I mean, it sounds so insensitive, but he's not being insensitive at all. In fact, Jesus has something up his sleeve. And so he says, I'm glad I wasn't there. And in verse 15, he says, so that you may believe. The reason I delayed is because I've got something up my sleeve that's so great, I want you to see it so that you will believe. You see, Jesus had already revealed his healing power. He's never revealed his resurrection power. And that's what he's about to do right now. If Jesus had simply healed Lazarus, then it would have been no different than anything else he had already done. And he would have simply reinforced the faith that the people had. But by allowing him to die and then bringing him back to life, he wasn't reinforcing their faith, he was stretching their faith. Because Jesus says, I've got something better in store, better in store for you. And so if I'm honest, I have to admit that that sometimes I blame God, but I've got to be careful there because here's point number two. Instead of blaming God, this is what I need to do. Every time I must trust God. Every time, every time, every time, every time I must trust God. Even when I cannot figure out why he let this happen, it makes absolutely zero sense to me. I mean, have you ever felt like God was a day late and a dollar short in your life? And what do you do? The only thing you can do is trust. Yeah, I guess you got two options. Mean, you can walk away or you can trust. That's basically it. And I'm so glad in this story that Martha decided that she was going to trust because the statement she makes. At this juncture in this story is one of the greatest statements of faith you'll find in the New Testament. Martha had said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. That's a statement of fact. That was a fact. But she said, I believe, I know that even now God will give you what you ask. That's a statement of faith. That little conjunction, but what a powerful, powerful word. What I'm saying is this. When it seems like God is four days late showing up in your circumstance, he may have you exactly where he wants you to be. It could be, and again, I can't figure it out and I don't know the answers, but it could be that he wants whatever it is in your life to die because he's got something better in store for you. And I know in some situations that sounds harsh because that just doesn't make sense to me because I've seen some of the things that have died in some of your lives and it makes zero sense. But in everything, every day, I need, I need to trust God. I need to trust that he has something better in store for me. I've got to believe that. So you ask yourself, what's, what's died in your life? Who's died in your life? That's, those are tough questions. And, and, and can, you, can you believe that in the midst of such confusion, that God actually has something better? It's hard to believe, isn't it? It, it takes courage to, to believe that. And, and so because of that, and here's point number three, today and every day, today and every day, I will say yes to God. Today and every single day, I'm going to say yes to God. Why? Because this seventh miracle reveals Jesus' true and his full identity. You see, Jesus, he's more than a winemaker. He's more than a water walker. He's more than a long distance healer. He's more than that. He's so much more than that. What Jesus is, is he's a grave robber. He's a grave robber. And, and he saves the boldest claim he could make for last when he says, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. Everybody say that. I am the resurrection and the life. When Jesus said that, he was, he was foreshadowing the fact that he was going to be raised from the dead because he knew he had to go to the cross, he had to die, had to be raised up so that we would have, we would have absolute certainty that Jesus was who he claimed to be, God. You see, Christianity is not based on a philosophy, Christianity is not based on a code of ethics. Christianity isn't based on the teachings of Jesus. Christianity, it's not based even upon the miracles of Jesus. Christianity, it's not even based upon the death of Jesus. Those things do not prove Jesus is who he claimed to be. There's only one thing that claims that Jesus was who he claimed to be. And that was to come back from the grave on his own power. To walk out of the tomb. That's what separates Jesus and puts him in a class all by himself. That's why I can believe Jesus today and every day. I can say yes to him today and every single day. You see, when, when, when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead... It was not only a foreshadowing of his own resurrection, it was a foreshadowing of your resurrection. When when Jesus said to his disciples, I'm delaying going to Lazarus so that you will believe, he wasn't just saying that so that they would believe, he was saying it so that we would believe. And so the question is, do you believe? Even when Christianity doesn't appear to be working, when what in your life has died, you're wondering, is God even real? And what I'm saying is, you and I need to be able to say yes to Jesus every single day, even when it appears that Christianity doesn't work, even when he walks out, even when she dies, even when God doesn't answer the prayer, because my faith is not based upon whether or not God answers a prayer. My faith is based upon the fact that the tomb is empty, that Jesus walked out on his own. And he may allow something in your life to die, and if he chooses to resurrect it again, that's great. He may not, but what you can understand is this, that in the end, God has something that is so great for you, you cannot even begin to understand it. You can't even begin to comprehend it. And so Jesus looks at Martha and he says, do you believe this? And what was her response? Yes. Yes. In fact, I believe that you are the Messiah. You are the God who has come to this earth. That one low yes will change your eternal destiny. Yet there are people in in this room right now, you haven't said yes to God. And, and, And truth be known, some of you are maybe even on a path kind of moving away from God because he's allowed something to die in your life. And I just want you to say, you can turn back with full confidence and say, yes, God, even though you've allowed this to die, I know that you have something so much greater for me. Do you believe that? Do do you believe that that Jesus came to this earth and he died on a cross, He, he was buried in a tomb, and he walked out of that tomb to send you and me a very clear message, that there's life on the other side of the grave, and that when you say yes to Jesus, he promises that even though you die, you live, and what he has in store for you, you can't even comprehend. And so I guess the question comes to you and me today as well. Will, will you say yes to Jesus? I'm going to ask if you'd bow your head and and close your eyes and take just a moment, just to just to kind of get a sense of where are you with Jesus? Are you walking hand in hand through a difficult time and 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 maybe something's died in your life, but you're you're holding on and you're saying yes, Jesus, I believe that you still have good things in store. I believe that you understand my situation. I believe that you're watching over me and caring for me. You believe that? Some of you maybe have walked so far from God, you you think it's impossible that God could ever love you again. And, And if you just say yes, God, I know you love me. Yes, God, I know you forgive me. Yes, God, I know you'll give me a second chance. Some of you have never given your life to Jesus for the first time and receive this amazing gift of the forgiveness of your sin. That's the gift. Do you believe this? Would you say yes, as Martha did? I'm going to ask if you'd pray this prayer with me today as we close out. I invite all of you who've chosen to follow Jesus to join in. For those of you, if you've never accepted Christ, and that's your desire today, to say yes to Jesus. And so, would you pray, Father in heaven, Today I say yes to Jesus. Yes, Jesus, I invite you to be my Savior and Lord. Yes, Jesus, I choose to follow you. Yes, Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner. Yes, Jesus, I admit that I need you to forgive me. I choose to follow you. I'm asking you this in your powerful name.